There are very few things that investors can do that are free. But what about a podcast that delivers educational content on investing, saving strategies, financial planning, topical items of interest, and maybe even the odd wacky topic? Welcome to Free Lunch. Hosted by Greg Kremitsky and Colin Andrews of the CM Group at CIBC Wood Gundy, Free Lunch will bring listeners the firm's vast knowledge and experience in dealing with uncertainty to help clients achieve their vision through a deep understanding of what is important to them that requires planning, money, and time. Learn more and subscribe today at markets-work.com. Welcome back to the Free Lunch Podcast with Gregory A. Kreminski. Gregory Paul A. Kreminski. And Colin, to be undisclosed middle name, Andrews. J. Yes. Right. Greg, last week we were talking about fixed income, that being GIC, strip bonds, regular pay coupon bonds, that'd be corporate and government issued and high yield bonds. Right on. And we ran out of time because it's a big discussion because as we mentioned, the bond market is a big beast. For sure. Yep. And so the thing we didn't get a chance to touch on was the risk section. So that is the appropriate amount of risk for various risk capacities of different people. And there's a difference between risk and risk capacity, right? Absolutely. Yeah. So we thought we'd pick up this discussion at this point. And firstly, as it relates to fixed income, but we're also going to talk about stocks and overall risk capacity. Yeah, exactly. So as we started talking about last week, when it comes to fixed income conservative investors, they, you know, would prioritize stability and income generation, and they would often lean towards investment grade bonds, while more risk tolerant investors seeking higher potential returns would probably consider including high yield bonds in the portfolio. Yeah, and it's really important that you understand the differences between these normal coupon bonds and high-yield bonds, which allows investors to really align their investment strategies with the appropriate risk tolerance and financial goals. Yeah, so let's just look at some of the Canadian data to get maybe a more comprehensive understanding of investment-grade bonds and and high-yield bonds in the Canadian market. Okay, well, we could start with, in Canada, I guess, investment-grade bonds being issued by things like the federal government provincial governments and corporations. And these bonds are generally considered low risk investments as, I don't know, the Canadian government shouldn't probably default on its loan payments, right? Yeah, no, exactly right. And typically, as we talked about last time, investment grade bonds will typically offer lower yields compared to other higher yielding bonds, as we discussed, mainly due to their lower risk profile. And so if you are looking for steady income and capital preservation, then those are the kind of bonds that will probably figure prominently. Do you remember my story about government bonds from the movie G-Force that I've mentioned a few times over the years? Remember G-Force? Not as such, no. Yeah, G-Force was that kid's movie about some guinea pig, like superhero type of things. All right. Anyways, the female guinea pig in G-Force says, men are like government bonds. They take way too long to mature. There you go. So right on. that's always stuck with me. Every time we talk about government bonds, that, that okay. always, I always hear that in the back of my head. Anyways, <laughs> but that's government bonds. On the other hand, we've got things like high yield bonds, which are available to investors seeking higher returns, but they come with increased risk. And actually, there's a lot of people that compare the risk parameters of a high yield bond even to equity, right? And so you got to be a little bit careful about what you're investing in. Because these are typically issued by entities with lower credit ratings and they're they're paying you more to entice your dollars, right? And there is an equity component to the behavior of high yield bonds. And so I've heard numbers 
thrown around like, you know, that there's a 25 to 50% correlation in, in the pricing of high yield bonds to equities, you know, meaning that when equities take a hit in the market, very often high yield bonds will take a hit as well in line with, or at least correlated to that, just because, of course, in an environment where stocks are getting hit or punished for some reason, which might be a recession, reduced profitability, Mm -hmm. there's obviously a greater likelihood that these high-yield bonds might default. So that would be the beta, right? The price sensitivity. There is is a volatility there that is associated with equity returns. And you do see high-yield bonds, like in Canada, you'll often see them reflecting sectors such as energy, mining, and technology, because those sectors can have more volatility and a higher default risk just because of the underlying commodity price issues. You know, So it's crucial for investors to really understand through research and through their fund managers, the specific industries and issuers of these bonds to make sure that they're not overly concentrated in these particular sectors. Yeah, and when you're looking at the Canadian market, I mean, one of the key differences between corporate bonds and high-yield bonds would be the what's called the yield spread. And this is just the difference in yield between a specific bond or type of bond and the yield on a government bond with a similar maturity. So if a government bond is yielding, well, currently, let's say 4% for one year, the yield spread on a high-yield bond might be that government bond plus some other amount, right? So as you'd expect, high-yield bonds in Canada, they do offer a higher yield spread when compared to investment-grade corporate bonds. And that's basically to compensate investors for taking on more risk. So the yield spread between high-yield and government bonds can fluctuate pretty wide from year to year. And this provides a lot of bond fund managers opportunities to pick their entry and exit points for high-yield bonds. And and I got to tell you, Greg, I'm not a big believer in active trading when it comes to stock portfolios. But I do actually believe that active management within the bond market does provide some opportunity. And so you'll often see bond managers adjusting their duration of their portfolio or the credit quality that they're purchasing. And they're looking for those yield spreads and they're trying to, you know, be rewarded for it. Yeah, exactly. Now, when we talk about risk, you know, there is another important point, and that is it's worth noting that sort of the Canadian bond market is actually regulated and by the Canadian Securities Administrators and the Investment Industry Regulatory Organization of Canada, which is called IROC, and that's the organization that regulates investment advisors as well. And so by having those regulatory bodies enforcing transparency and disclosure requirements, that provides investors with sort of a little bit more information to make informed decisions. And again, that's on an individual basis. But as I say, we believe that this is an area that you probably want professional management to help you out with. And this has changed a lot over the years. I know when we bought bonds 10 years ago, you didn't have to report the yield spread. And so I hate to say it, but investors didn't actually know the true price of whatever bonds they were buying, right? Because the spread could be undisclosed, which IROC and other regulators have sort of made that a necessary thing is to tell people this is what you're paying, right? Which is probably good. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Like the Canadian bond market, I mean, it offers a range of options for investors and we spent all last episode on it, but government bonds, corporate bonds, municipal bonds, Municipal bonds are bigger in the U.S. really because of the tax treatment, but but it's really essential for investors to really assess the risk tolerance, investment objectives, time horizon, you know, when considering these bonds and really any other investment. 
Well, that's right. And again, so we're looking here specifically at the Canadian bond market, but keep in mind for our investors and bond investors in general, there's a whole world out there. The global bond market is huge relative to the Canadian bond market. And so just think of all the different areas that could provide opportunity as well as some potential landmines on the global bond market as well. So as always, we want to remind our listeners that investment decisions have to be based on individual financial circumstances. So while we talk in generalities here about the bond markets in general and the different types of bonds, consulting with a financial advisor or professional is highly recommended before making any investment choices. For sure. I mean, too often I see people chasing the carrot when it comes to fixed income. I've had discussions with people over the years and they say, well, you know, I could invest in that institutionally managed bond portfolio yielding four or 5%, but you know, I can get like 10 or 12% in the private market. And, you know, I guess the answer to that is, well, well, how much risk do you think you're getting into if something's offering you 12% versus the current yields? Exactly. Yeah. So you got to be really careful about that. So I think that risk levels in general differ amongst different investment options, which we've talked about many times in many podcasts, right? So just keep in mind, like government bonds are considered low risk options, much less risky than something like penny stocks, right? But lots of people look at an investment as an investment. This is not true. Like this is a, you got to compare apples to apples and oranges to oranges, right? If you're comparing penny stocks to government fixed income, that's not really a suitable comparison, right? Exactly. You know, and where I see this coming into play in people's portfolios is we've talked about asset location in the past, Greg, and we typically advise people, well, why don't you hold your corporate investment grade bonds in your registered accounts. You don't pay any tax on the income that's being derived from them. And why don't you own equities in your TFSA so you have long-term tax-free growth forever, right? Yes. No, exactly. But then inevitably, what does somebody say when they look at their portfolio? They'll say, oh, you know, my TFSA is doing really well right now, but my bond portfolio really isn't doing much at all. Exactly. And it's like, well, yeah, because the stock market's up right now and you're all stocks in your TFSA and the bond market's flat and you're all bonds in your RSP, right? No, that's right. There's certainly the whole psychological side of that. But, you know, when we're talking about risk tolerance, you mean the risk tolerance is one of the key factors that we look at, you know, in terms of coming up with an appropriate portfolio for clients, because risk tolerance varies dramatically from person to person. You know, some people have a high risk tolerance and are comfortable with the possibility of losing a portion of their investment in pursuit of higher returns. And and when we talk about losing money, we're not talking about permanently losing money. I think we're talking about volatility, meaning you look at your portfolio when it's down a lot, relative to some time in the past. But that can be very troubling for some people and others embrace it as just part of the investing experience. So mm-hmm. so some people are able to do that and others have a low risk tolerance and, and they prefer more conservative investments because their principle is protected. There's less volatility from month to month on their statements, that kind of thing. Yeah, I think where it kind of fell off the rails was last year when the stock market was down 20, 30%, but the bond market was also down I don't know, 10 or 12%. And so a lot of people looked at that period and said, you know, I bought these bonds for low risk exposure to protect me in stock market volatility and it didn't work. And the answer is, well, actually it did because it didn't go down as much as stocks, right? And as long as you held those bonds to maturity, you got all your money back. So yeah, it's really key to understanding your risk tolerance. I mean, it's vital really because it impacts 
Are you going to be able to achieve your goals? What kind of investment strategy, asset allocation should you have? And how someone with a higher risk tolerance, they might invest in volatile stocks or maybe more allocation to emerging markets. Someone with a lower risk tolerance may opt for more stable investments like the general market itself. Or I don't know, they might think of real estate as low risk, rightly or wrongly. That's a whole other discussion. But yeah, everybody's a little different in, in their views on risk tolerance, right? Exactly. And, and that sort of ties into another concept that we need to discuss because it's a, an essential part of the Canadian regulatory experience, and that is risk capacity. So whereas risk tolerance is like, well, how well does an investor tolerate volatility of their portfolio from month to month? Risk capacity basically talks to the ability to take on risk without negatively impacting your financial well-being or long-term goals. Mm -hmm. And so that's going to be dependent not on your mindset necessarily, but it would be dependent on factors like age, income, financial obligations, time horizon, all of those things that are built into a financial plan. Yeah. So if you have maybe somebody in their 80s, they might have a really high risk tolerance, but their risk capacity might be very low. So vice versa, a young professional in their 20s, that has, you know, I don't know too many young professionals in their 20s. Yeah, they tend to, yeah. Let's say 30s. 30s, yeah, yeah makes more sense. Yeah, 20s, I mean, give me a break. You're not even legal in most states, yeah. right? But a young professional in their 30s with a stable income and maybe just a few financial responsibilities, like they haven't, maybe they're just married or not married. Maybe they don't quite have kids yet. Yeah. They have a higher risk capacity since they have time to recover from some losses. Like when you go through the last few market cycles, it's not the end of the world. But on the other hand, someone approaching retirement or later on in their years, well, they have a lower risk capacity as they need to preserve their capital for post-retirement years, right? Yeah, no, right on. And it's really critical to understand your risk capacity because it, it helps align investments with your particular financial circumstances. And it's pretty important to strike a balance between risk tolerance and risk capacity to ensure the investments align with the long-term financial goals. And that's really, you know, from a regulatory standpoint, I mean, we're required by regulation to try to identify each of our clients or each of investors' risk capacity and risk tolerance Mm -hmm. and manage to the lower of those two. So if somebody has a lower risk capacity than risk tolerance, we have to manage to the risk capacity level because otherwise we could throw them off their financial goals. And and if somebody has a lower risk tolerance than capacity, then we have to manage to that lower risk tolerance so that they remain committed to the investment strategy and don't get scared and sell out at a bad time. Yeah. And I ran into this just last week. I met with a, a couple and their asset allocation was 60% equities, 40% fixed income. Yep. So the 60-40 portfolio. Yep. Which is not dead, by the way. Right. Regardless of what exactly news outlets tell you. Yeah. Time to time, it's dead. It's well, not it was dead. dead last year, but it's alive again. It's alive, yeah. And this couple said, you know, we're really thinking we want to change our asset allocation to 70% equities and 30% fixed income. You know, I said, well, why is that? And they said, well, we, we really want to get some higher returns. So, of course, the easiest thing to do would be just to go along with it and say, well, okay, yeah, that's fine. We can change that asset allocation. Of course, that's not the right thing to do. The right thing to do was to say, you know what? I think we should actually revisit your financial plan and see how much risk you actually are required to take to meet the goals that you want to accomplish. And as you mentioned, because that risk capacity changes over time, there's life events that happen. People get married, they have kids, they change careers. I mean, these all impact 
a person's financial obligations and alter their risk capacity, right? So it's really essential to regularly assess and reassess and make changes to your investment strategy accordingly, but not so flippantly. No, exactly. You know, like you say, life is constantly changing and financial circumstances are constantly changing. And so having that regular review, you know, adapting investment strategies, that just ensures that we stay on track. That's the whole idea. And as we've talked before, you know, a financial plan is not just meant to be a document to be completed and then thrown into the bottom of the drawer. It's something that's got to be reviewed and, you know, and adjusted accordingly based on the situations that are present at the time. And so let's just talk a little bit about risk levels and risk capacity in the context of of Canadian investors. Well, we are Canadians, so that kind of makes sense. So in Canada, we definitely have a diverse investment landscape. There's a a lot of options and risk levels available to investors. So as we mentioned at the beginning of this podcast and the last one, things like Canadian government bonds are often considered the lowest risk investments because the chance of the government not paying its debts is pretty low, right? Right. And they can provide a stable income stream for investors. Yeah. Well, and actually that that highlights all of the hysteria in the US not too long ago when it looked like they needed to raise the debt ceiling and it looked like there was a situation where that might not happen. Because if the US or the Canadian government or any major world power was to not make good on their debts, then I guess in the Ghostbusters kind of lingo, it would be bad. Yeah, well, especially in the U.S. And the funny thing to me, Greg, is like, did you really think they weren't going to raise the debt ceiling? Right. I mean, yeah. they've raised it 90 times. Yes. I mean, it was it was going to happen. It was just a matter of, of when and was there going to be too much pain in the process. You know, and then when we look at the Canadian stock market, I mean, there's obviously varying risk levels in all of the investments that you could make, you know. So if you're looking at, say, what we would consider blue chip companies. So those types of companies and those ones we think of like the old TSE 25 type companies or these days the TSX S&P 60, those are generally considered to be less risky because they have long established track records and, and stability and that kind of thing. But if you're to invest in smaller growth oriented companies that trade maybe on the venture exchange, those obviously can carry much higher risk with them, much more volatility. We're not going to get into it a lot today, but just investing in those blue chip companies brings risk itself. Of course. So I think of the names in that TSE 25 you mentioned or TSX 60. I mean, at one point, Nortel was the largest component of the TSX, right? That's right. 26% or something. Some huge number. I don't think they're around anymore, right? No. And at another point, BlackBerry or Research in Motion was a big component of it, right? No, exactly. So only reason I bring that up is that there's market risk and there's concentration risk. And today we're just talking about just the risk of being invested, not speculating. So, but you know, another way of getting exposure to the right amount of risk is investing in global markets, right? I mean, it's really important that we include global economies in our portfolios, diversify across countries and industries. And that can bring other risks. I mean, like if you're invested solely in the Philippine stock market, nothing against the Philippine stock market, by the way, but I believe it was the top performing market a few years back. It might not be the best place to have all of your money because it is very skewed to one or two companies, right? Mm -hmm. So you got to be really careful of how much risk you're taking on. You've also got to look at currency fluctuations and maybe some geopolitical factors. You know, like the Russian market probably isn't a good place to invest in for all kinds of reasons. Yep, exactly. 
Yeah, so it's really crucial for investors to consider risk capacity and tolerance when they're looking at their investments. And and listen, you can look at individual securities or types of investments that may actually seem risky, but they actually become much less risky when they're part of a diversified portfolio. So when we talk about things like small companies or or emerging companies or emerging markets, I mean, those on their own might be quite risky, but in the context of a well-diversified portfolio, they, you know, diversification takes care of that risk. You know, and as we talked about before, obviously factors like age and financial goals and financial situation will play a significant role as well. Well, yeah, and full disclosure, I mean, we invest in those small companies in our portfolios. Of course we do. Because they have a higher expected return, right? But we're not investing the lion's share into those smaller companies. It's a small portion. And we're not concentrating those investments into one or two names. We're investing in thousands, literally thousands of stocks. Yeah, so always important to remember that risk tolerance and capacity are different, firstly. They're very personal, And there's no one size fits all approach. Like each individual's situation and goals are very unique. And it, I hate that saying, you know, you see it on other people's websites. So they do individually tailored holistic financial planning, but they use that particular saying to the mass. Yeah. (laughs) It's like, is that what you're really doing? But everybody is unique and it sounds very cliche, but it's, it's really important to dig deep into that stuff with a professional. Maybe somebody from the CM group might be available for some of the listeners to talk to. Absolutely. Uh, And really critical before making any investment decisions. Yeah. I mean, listen, we may be biased in this view. We believe it's a good idea to consult with a financial advisor. It doesn't have to be us, but it could be us, but somebody that can help assess your true risk profile and sort of guide you towards more suitable investment options. And also somebody that can help you understand tax implications and, and other regulatory aspects that are kind of specific to us here in Canada. Yeah. I know Russell investments puts out annually the value of advice or the, I think that's what it's called the value of advice. And I don't remember the exact number, but it was North of 3% per year is what they had attached to an investor's overall experience just from getting proper advice, right? Exactly. So investing, as we've mentioned, is is and can be and will remain to be very complex. And you just need the right guidance and that's going to help you out, right? So I don't know. Where else do we go with this one, Greg? Well, I think we're at the end. I think, you know, if I had to summarize, I would just say understanding risk tolerance and risk capacity in a true and sort of factual way is key to building a successful investment strategy. It allows you to be comfortable when you look at the markets, you're comfortable that no matter what happens in the markets, that you're on track to reach your financial goals. And that brings a lot of emotional comfort and makes for a a much more positive investing experience. Yeah. And if you are working with somebody that is talking about low risk, high returns, you should run. Exactly. Those things do not go together. It doesn't make any sense. That's right. Higher returns are associated with higher risk. That's right. Because you're compensated for taking that risk. Exactly. All right. Well, I guess that's it for now. Hey, before we go, just a quick reminder to anybody listening, that being, I don't know, maybe my parents or your friends, give us a rating on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your, your downloads from. We really appreciate the feedback. And if you have any topics you want us to address, please let us know. Right on. Okay. Thank you for listening to the Free Lunch Podcast hosted by the CM Group at CIBC Wood Gundy. To subscribe to this podcast to get more realistic insight on investing or to connect with one of our talented partners, please head on over to markets-work.com. We'll see you next time on the Free Lunch Podcast.
The CIBC logo and CIBC Private Wealth are registered trademarks of CIBC. If you are currently a CIBC Wood Gundy client, please contact your investment advisor. CIBC Private Wealth consists of services provided by CIBC and certain of its subsidiaries, including CIBC Wood Gundy, a division of CIBC World Markets, Inc. CIBC Private Wealth is a registered trademark of CIBC used under license. Wood Gundy is a registered trademark of CIBC World Markets, Inc. Colin Andrews and Greg Kraminski are investment advisors with CIBC Wood Gundy. This information, including any opinion, is based on various sources believed to be reliable, but its accuracy cannot be guaranteed and is subject to change. CIBC and CIBC World Markets, Inc., their affiliates, directors, officers, and employees may buy, sell, or hold a position in securities of a company mentioned herein, its affiliates or subsidiaries, and may also perform financial advisory services, investment banking or other services for, or have lending or other credit relationships with the same. CIBC World Markets, Inc. and its representatives will receive sales commissions and or a spread between bid and ask prices if you purchase, sell, or hold the securities referred to above. CIBC World Markets, Inc., 2023.